So I started serving at Compass Bible Church in uh, 2007. Started off as a camp counselor at the very first time we did revival here at, at Compass Bible Church. And then I've been uh, serving and now working here ever since then. And for all of that time, I've had some kind of connection or some kind of focus on youth here at our church. When I started, I was serving in the high school ministry. That was my first job here at the church. Spent several years working with our high school students. And then now for the last four plus years, I've been working with our young adults, our college students, and even now with some of our older singles. And that was all right after my own experiences with high school and college. So for the last decade, I've been immersed into the youth of Compass Bible Church. And as I've done that, there is one particular issue that comes up over and over and over and over again. And that issue is the issue of sexual immorality. And I've dealt with that extensively with our young people at the church. Even recently, we were going through the book of Proverbs with our college age group, third nine here at the church. And so that brought up this issue again. And I remember even preaching right here in this room that night, I had the sense that this was one of the most important sermons and one of the most important things that we had talked about in that ministry for a while. There is a crack in the foundation of a lot of these young people's lives that is really affecting their walk with Christ, affecting their relationships with other people, affecting their future. And as I preach to that crowd, I'm thinking, man, I hope I can help some of them avoid stumbling into this great pit of sexual immorality. But every time I do that, it's always clear that some of the people, I'm not helping them avoid it. it. What I'm actually trying to do is help them get out of it because they are already immersed in it. For many of them, it's too late. Uh, They've already been stuck in some form of sexual immorality. And as I've dealt with that and multiple times with the young people here at our church, it gets me thinking, man, by the time I'm getting to them now, especially in college age, for many of them, that this battle has been going on for years. Somebody needs to talk to the youth of this church about this even earlier than when I'm talking to them in college. And what if there was a group at the church that I could talk to that had a massive impact over the next generation? And I just wish there was some ministry like that at Compass Bible Church that we could talk about this with. Oh yeah, that's Thrive right here tonight. That by the time kids even get into high school or or college, this is an issue that that is uh, being really shoved into their face. This is the world that we live in. And what I want to do tonight is to talk to this group, the group that has that next generation. And many of the kids that haven't even been born yet or the kids that are are young where talking about some of these things is still in the future. What can you do as parents to help your kids avoid ever being in that place where they need the serious help getting out of the web that they have been caught in? That's what we want to talk about tonight. And I'm confident that that is something that every parent in this room wants. You want your kids to live a life of purity. And as you look back at your own past, it doesn't matter 
what it was. If your, your past is full of impurity, I, I'm sure that gives you extra incentive to want your child's past not to be full of that at some point. And if your past, if you live that exemplary life of purity, then again, I'm sure you, you don't want your children to fall into that trap. So what can we do? Well, the first thing that I want us to do, even if you just look at point one there, as we think about raising children, especially in this young married class where many of your kids are Awana-aged or younger, the first thing I want us to do is to wake up to the danger of a hyper-sexualized culture. Wake up to the danger of a hyper-sexualized culture. Now, this is not, this whole topic is not news in general. We were all younger once. We all went through puberty. We all came of age, went through high school, went through college. And I'm sure on some level, we all faced a, a struggle for purity. But the world is changing. And the world even right now for young people is different than the world was when you were a young person. If you're older than me, you remember growing up without the internet. If you're my age, you remember the internet coming along, the wonderful days of dial-up internet. But you also remember a world where not everybody was walking around with a smartphone. Or if you had a cell phone, it was a a brick, and even when text messaging was a new thing. If you're younger than me, even still, there's, there's new stuff. There's Instagram, Snapchat, a lot of technology that's much more prominent now than it was even five years ago. And five years from now, who knows? The world will continue to change. Technology will continue to change. And we need to realize that is one very specific way that affects this whole topic of sexual immorality and this whole topic of purity. For many young people growing up in the world today, a whole host of forms of sexual immorality is one click away for them. Within seconds, they can be immersed deep in sexual sin. Different studies say different things, but in the things I researched, the average age of exposure to pornography in the United States of America today is, the, the different studies came back with anywhere from the age of eight years old to 11 years old. Even if we just picked one of the studies out in the middle, it was nine years old. But there's a lot of people in this room right now that have kids nine years or older. And the unfortunate reality, even when you talk about something more specific like pornography, is that it is not if, it is when will your kids be exposed to this. That's the world that we live in. 90% of 12 to 17-year-olds have at some point viewed hardcore pornography. Or there was a college in, in Canada that was wanting to do research on the effects of pornography on the brain. And as they set out to do this research, they couldn't find a control group. They, they, they couldn't find a, a group of people that hadn't, or a big enough group of people that hadn't viewed pornography to see, well, this is the normal group. This is what happens when you don't view this. They, they couldn't find it. They couldn't do the study. And technology brings up uh, other temptations that are new and evolving even in the world that we live in. 60% of teenagers 
have received over text or things like that, sexually explicit images. 40% have sent sexually explicit messages. That's from research from a recent Barna Group study. Uh, This is the world that our kids are growing up in. Of course, if you're paying any attention, none of that should be news to you, but the Bible also warns of the dangers that we need to wake up to. Open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. And if you're familiar with Proverbs, especially the early chapters, you know that one of the most prominent themes that is addressed in that section, the father to his son, is he is talking about purity. He's talking about avoiding sexual immorality. And let's look, let's start even just at the verse, verse seven. All right, now let's go back to verse five, talking about this forbidden woman. And he says, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. It's strong warnings from scripture, from a father to his son about the dangers of sexual immorality and these dangers of being at the brink of utter ruin, of a way that leads to death, of your life being destroyed, your flesh and body consumed, all of that is seconds away from your children. That's something as parents that we should take seriously. That's something that we should think deeply about. And I want to be clear, my purpose tonight is not to scare us so that we would be terrified. It's to equip us to live in a dangerous world so we can have confidence, so we can go out and do this. I would hope, especially again, those of you that are parents in the room, that you from time to time periodically check the smoke detectors in your house that you take your responsibility over the lives in your house to make sure that the basic safety measures are being taken. And if you uh, watch This Is Us on TV, I'm sure you've done that over the past couple months. But think about, why, do you, why would you do that? Why would you, you know, make sure the batteries have been replaced in the smoke detectors? Because you're paranoid? Maybe. I'm sure there's some people that are paranoid. But no, ultimately, what would drive you to do that is you want to be responsible. You want to take care of these lives and the people within your home. That's what we want tonight. Not paranoia. Oh no, this world is crazy. What are we going to do? No, but we want to be responsible. What does God's word instruct us to do? How can we raise our our children towards purity in an impure world? 
So how do we do this? Let's go to another passage now. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. God gives some instruction on marriage and on, on purity. I think that'll help instruct us as we seek to be responsible, recognizing the danger and not, oh no, what are we going to do? But okay, what does God's word say? How can we lead our families through this world? Hebrews 13, 4 says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. As we think about that verse and the command that the marriage be held in honor among all and the marriage bed be undefiled, first thing we got to realize is before it really ever gets to the next generation, until it ever gets to your kids, it starts with you. It starts with your marriage. So point number two, put this down, you need to fight to prioritize and protect your marriage. Fight to prioritize and protect your marriage. How are you going to leave your ki- lead your kids to a pure life if that's not the direction that you are headed as well? And let's, let's break down this verse phrase by phrase and think about first how it just applies to your own marriage. Even that first phrase, let marriage be held in honor among all. And that's why I chose the word there in that point to prioritize your marriage. You have to prioritize your marriage and your kids need to see a healthy marriage. That is going to be one of the best helps to them in pursuing a life of purity is seeing, hey, That's what purity looks like. That's what a strong marriage looks like. Are you showing that to your kids? The Bible talks about how in marriage, the two become one flesh and that relationship now supersedes any other. It becomes more important than the relationship that you had with your parents. And I hope you show your kids it's more important than the relationship that you have with them. That someday they're going to leave your house, but you and your wife or your husband will be together for the rest of your lives. And that whole relationship should be prioritized, obviously for the kids, and it should be characterized by intimacy. And intimacy, that's a broader ranging word. And I know there's other people that break it down the same way, even into three levels of intimacy, relational intimacy, spiritual intimacy, and physical intimacy. Relational intimacy, talking about aspects even just of friendship between you and your spouse, companionship, romance between the two of you. Spiritual intimacy, that one thing that is shared closely between the two of you is your walk with Christ. That you guys aren't just walking the Christian life on your own, but the closest person you're doing that with is your husband or your wife. And then physical intimacy, whether that's acts of displaying affection and ultimately sexual intimacy. How are those going in your life? And even what is the example that you're setting for your kids? 
There should be obvious ways that they see this. Think about relational intimacy. Do your kids see you, mom and dad, spending time together? Do they get, whoa, mom and dad sometimes go through a lot of trouble to get away from me and my siblings. And it's not just because they don't like us. It's because, man, they clearly enjoy spending time together. Do they see you and your spouse laughing together? Do they see you guys talking together, enjoying life together? Do they see you think about areas of spiritual intimacy? Do they ever see mom and dad praying together? Do they ever hear mom and dad talking about God's word together and what they're learning from God's word? And even as you think about physical intimacy, do your kids ever see you hold hands? Do they ever see you embrace? Do they ever see you kiss? Do they ever see you sit snuggled up close together on the couch? Do they see what a healthy relationship looks like? And now the point of those questions is not, hey, go put on a show for your kids. Go put on a front. No, the point is those things should be happening. The point is go out and cultivate that relational intimacy with your spouse. When was the last time the two of you just spent time together? Prioritize spiritual intimacy. Do you pray together regularly? Do you talk about God's word together? Share what God's been teaching you in your own life. The next phrase that we see there in Hebrews 13, in the middle of verse 4, is let the marriage bed be undefiled. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Now I want to, maybe you don't need to turn there, but I want to go back to Proverbs chapter 5 for a moment and, and see where it goes on, what the father tells to his son. In Proverbs chapter 5, right after the verses we read, where it warns of utter ruin, Verse 15, he says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated, get drunk always in her love. That's what the father tells his son. Now, some of those aspects, I certainly hope your kids aren't seeing. But how are you going to teach your kids that that's what they should do someday if that's not what you're living out in your own marriage? Are you making yourself sexually available to your spouse so that their desires aren't going unmet? Are you realizing that sex is an intimacy is more than just an act in the bedroom, but are you cultivating the kind of intimacy relationally and spiritually in which sexual intimacy will flourish? And to some of you couples, it might be each of you needs to think about that separately because probably for most couples in this room, there's one person that desires sex more than the other. The other, are you making yourself available to your spouse? And to the other, are you just, when sex isn't happening like you wanted to, just pouting and getting upset about it? Or are you pursuing in love your spouse? What are you doing? Because then we need to take seriously the last phrase in the verse, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. 
Those are serious words. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. God wants to be crystal clear tonight that there is absolutely no excuse ever for sexual immorality of any kind. No excuse. And and let's just say that your spouse is not obeying this commandment to some extent. Except, let's say you could even open up to 1 Corinthians 7 and say, hey, it says that the husband's body doesn't belong to him, it belongs to the wife, and the wife's body doesn't belong to her, it belongs to the husband, and my wife or my husband isn't being as sexually available, or they're not pursuing me in romance as much as they should. Maybe even your spouse is straight up in sin in how they're handling it. Guess what? There is no excuse for you to engage in sexual immorality. None. Ever. There is no excuse to watch pornography, no matter what your spouse is doing. There is no excuse to flirt with someone else and open the door to a relationship that could lead to adultery. There is no excuse to gaze longingly at a picture of someone else on social media and wonder if they would be a better partner or a better lover or a a better listener than your spouse. There is no excuse. God will judge that. God hates that. It says so all over the Bible. And what's more, God knows that. That if you're engaging in any of those activities and nobody else in the world knows, God knows. He sees it and it says God is going to take care of it. That someday you are going to stand before Christ and know, well, my spouse, those words aren't going to get out of your mouth. Or if you are one of God's kids, he loves you so much, he's going to discipline you. And probably what he's going to do is expose your sin. And it's going to be painful, but because he loves you, he's going to stop you. And that's not going to be enjoyable. If you tonight are caught up in some kind of sexual sin, You need to talk to somebody. The first step for you is you need to repent. In Psalm 32, David, he was caught up in sexual sin. He said, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. I was groaning all all day long. Day and night, the hand of God was heavy upon me. He says his strength was, you know, sucked away from him like in the heat of summer. But then he says, but I acknowledged my sin to God. And I stopped hiding my iniquity. I said, I'm going to confess my transgression to the Lord and God forgave the guilt of my sin. That's the process for you if you're engaged in any of this tonight, to acknowledge your sin, to bring it into the open, to find, guys, find a trusted person in your small group. Ladies, find a trusted woman in your small group. Confess this to them. Talk about what the next steps should be and have great confidence that, guess what? God can forgive. And guess what? God can even restore. You feel like, oh, this, this could mess up my, my, my marriage. Well, God can restore. And you know what will mess it up even more? Continuing to just struggle and suffer in silence until it blows up. That will hurt your marriage more than taking that step tonight and dealing with this. Again, that should be alarming to some of us, but I also hope that there's, that there's some optimism in the room tonight. One headline that's 
been around a lot this week is the death of former First Lady Barbara Bush. And one thing that's been highlighted in the press coverage is the record length of her marriage to George H.W. Bush. 73 years, longest marriage of any president in United States history. And even our current president has admitted, I'm never going to match that record. (laughs) At this point, I think it's mathematically impossible. But even the, the press has been praising their marriage as something that is commendable. And I'm sure it, it, it wasn't perfect, but in today's world, people look at that and say, that's something unique. And when I look out at this room tonight, I get optimistic as I think about the future. To think about the marriages in this room that can last 30, 40, 50 years until death do you part. And that in those later years, your marriage will still be characterized by a sweetness and an intimacy and a love and an affection that's obvious for anyone to see. And I'm confident that even marriages that are in trouble right now, even marriages where there's some kind of sexual sin involved right now, can end up that way when people turn from their sin and find grace and restoration through Jesus Christ there's marriages that can be a great model for the next generation. You can't be better equipped than you are in this room, surrounded by godly community, sitting under the teaching of God's word. You're set up for success. And it gets me excited to think about what God is going to do through the marriages in this room. But then upon that foundation of having a solid marriage yourself, well, then you got to take the steps of, how are you going to lead your kids? And that's the third point there I want us to think through. I want you to steer your kids towards purity. Steer your kids towards purity. And I've got, just want to get as as practical even as we can in thinking about how to do this. And so I've got eight more specific ways to steer your kids. They won't all be up on the PowerPoint, but I'll try to highlight each of them for you. And the first is faithfully teach your kids the Bible faithfully teach your kids the Bible. This should be a theme verse close to the heart of every parent. Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it talks about, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's a bad idea to take calculus before you've taken algebra. Am I right? Well, here's the thing. Don't think that, man, I'm going to be able to talk to my kids about something as complex and maybe feels sometimes as awkward as sexuality and sexual immorality if you're not first doing the basics of, I'm always in the habit of talking to my children about the word of God. You should be regularly reading the Bible to your kids. And more than that, it should be as you go through life, as you're driving home tonight, what did you learn at Awana tonight? As you see things going on in the world around you, as you watch TV, using everything as an opportunity to bring it back to the truth of God's word. Uh, Your whole family should be marinated, so to speak, 
in the word of God so that your whole family just tastes like scripture. That should be the goal for you. And you got to do that about everything in life, bringing it always back to scripture so that when you get to these issues, it's just natural to bring it back to scripture. That's what you do about everything. You've got to faithfully teach your kids the Bible. The second thing, you got to work to build a strong relationship with your kids. Build a strong relationship with your kids. Make sure your kids are used to interacting with you. Even that you're used to talking about things together as a family. You're used to having fun as a family. You're used to learning things as a family. You want to create the right environment. And I want to say a word here just about a special connection that you fathers in the room can have with your kids. Fathers, you play a really irreplaceable role in the lives of your sons. That your sons will look to you first and foremost as the male role model in their lives. What kind of role model are you being? Are you being one that, hey, it's cool to talk about God's word. It's, it's good to read the Bible, to pray, uh, to discuss these things together. And even fathers, the special role that you can play in the lives of your daughters. That from their early years, they know what it means to be loved and cared for and protected by someone. E- even physically showing the proper affection for your daughters, of, of hugging them, of praising them, of, of complimenting them. Fathers, don't neglect those roles, even from the earliest years in building those relationships with your kids. Third thing in steering your kids towards purity, guard what flows into your home. Guard what flows into your home. Parents, you are the gatekeepers. You are the ones that should have full control over what's flowing into your home. You decide what does or doesn't get watched on TV. You know what's being mailed to the house and and aware of what your kids might be seeing. And more and more and more, one specific area that needs to be watched over in the world that we live in is anything digital, the internet, which now is everywhere. It's not just TV. It's not just mail anymore. Now you've got computers. Now you've got iPads. Now you've got Uh, cell phones. Now you've got digital devices everywhere with access to the whole world. And you need to be aware that with so many of those things, sexual immorality is just one click away. I'm pretty confident that no parent in this room would allow any of their kids to have in their bedroom a a stack of pornographic magazines. I'm pretty confident 100% of the people in the room would say, yeah, I would never let that happen. Well, here, if you you have a child that has a computer or a a smartphone or something that is in their room with with no checks on it, guess what? They have access to way more than that stack of pornographic magazines. That is the world that we live in. And you as a parent have to be responsible and, and know what is going on in your home. Yeah, you need to know any device in your home that can be connected to the internet. And now, is this a cure-all? No. Are there ways around this? No. Can you control everything your kids see when they're away from your home? No. But this can at least set up your home as a safer place than the world around them. And at this point, if you look at the back of your note sheet tonight, I recommended a few resources 
that I think would be helpful to you. And, and one specifically on this point of guarding what flows into your home, I would recommend this article there at the top by Tim Challies. Uh, some very, I and mean, we don't have time to get into all of it tonight, but some very practical help on how to make your home, even digitally, uh, a, a place that is protected, a, a place that can be watched over, and a place that can be helped. And you can do a lot there, but even don't let that lull you into a false sense of security, thinking, all right, my home is a safe place. Well, your kids are going to spend a lot of time outside of your home. So then the next thing that's important, number four, is you need to establish open lines of communication. You need to establish open lines of communication, even specifically about issues of sexuality and purity and sexual immorality, and even from a young age. This is what's going on in Proverbs. You have a father talking to his son. This is what we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Talk about God's word all the time. You need to work towards having a relationship in which you can talk to your kids about this all the time. And you might think, well, I've got a plan to take my kid away for the weekend and really talk through some of these issues, or I'm going to have this kind of intense and important conversation. I'm going to have the talk with my child. That might be well and good, but if you think I spent a weekend away, I had the talk, glad that's over with, you're fooling yourself. And you're not setting your child up for success in this impure world. In another one of the resources there on the back, the Josh McDowell book, Straight Talk With Your Kids About Sex, he says this, the best sex education is 30 seconds here, one minute there, 10 seconds here, two minutes and 24 seconds there, and so on, starting as young as possible. And even just thinking many of you that have younger kids still, even just teaching them about their body parts from an early age in a straightforward, calm way. You're not injecting any awkwardness into the conversation, teaching them what they are, but teaching them how to not talk about it around other people, even starting early like that. And then as it gets older, as you're watching TV and something comes on, there's a teaching moment. When you hear about somebody becoming pregnant, there's a teaching moment. And it's a little bit here and a little bit there. Another great resource that has some very specific advice in this area is one of the chapters in Pastor Mike's book, Raising men, not boys. And I'm sure so many of the things that he says there would apply to raising your daughters as well. But rumor has it, Pastor Lucas is going to write that book eventually. And it's going to have a pink cover instead of the green cover. So, you know, be watching for that book to come out eventually for more specific advice there. And one thing I'd like to highlight that even Pastor Mike says there is, as you talk to your kids about sexuality, you need to be careful not to vilify sex, not to make sex be something that's dirty or something that is nasty. But even as you talk about things, this is something good. This is something that God has intended for marriage. And be careful to praise sex. That's what the Bible does. Proverbs chapter 5, we read it. It said, get drunk with love, get intoxicated. It says the same thing in Song of Solomon. I think those are the only times the Bible is telling somebody to get intoxicated. And that is with marital sexual intimacy. You, you need to have that tone with your kids while warning them it's a great thing. But out of that context, it is a dangerous thing. And they need 
to be able to talk about this with their parents. That's why it needs to be an ongoing conversation, not a one-off thing. Because if they aren't getting answers from you, they're going to get answers from somewhere else. That's just the way it is. They're going to go to their friends and ask them, what does this mean? Well, what about this? Or they're going to get on Google and say, what's this? And even think about that, getting on Google, typing in some of those things, where's that going to lead them? Then they could get caught up in so many of these other things. You want them coming to you with that. And when they do, you want to respond with calmness and straightforwardness. And probably something that shouldn't be said is, I'll tell you when you're older. If they're old enough to ask a question, probably old enough for an answer. Now, you, you might, how you give that answer will probably depend on how old they are. But you want to address these things head on with their kids. And if you think about sex education in the world today, and you think about that in, in schools, you probably rightly have some concerns about things that go on in schools in sex education. But here's the thing. You don't want your kids, I don't care what school your kids go to, that should not be their primary sex education. It shouldn't be from their school. It shouldn't be from their peers. And it sh definitely shouldn't be from the internet. It should be from you. You are the primary sex educator of your children. You are the primary discipler of your children. You are the primary Bible teacher to your children. That is the responsibility God has given you. So even at early ages, establish open lines of communication. Next thing, I forget what number we're on, so we'll just say letter F. Um, model and teach modesty to your daughters. Model and teach modesty to your daughters. Proverbs is written to a son, but it warns the son about this adulterous woman or this strange woman, whatever it might, different titles that it uses for her. And in chapter seven, when it describes this seductress, it says, and behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Here is a young woman that is crying out for attention. And that's what the world wants your daughters to become. And you've got to teach them differently. And now, even in the world that we live in, not only do your daughters have their wardrobe and what they wear in front of their friends, but every single one of them has a platform to show that to the world through social media. And they can see who they can get to follow them, who they can get to like them. That's the world you're going to raise young women in. And ladies in the room, start by modeling modesty and teach that to your daughters. Teach them that there is a difference and what I'm not saying is, okay, go buy them the ugliest dresses you can find, trick them into thinking that's fashionable so that no boy will ever be tempted to look at them, not at all what I'm saying. But teach them that there is a difference between trying to look cute and trying to look sexy. There is a difference between trying to be attractive and to entice somebody sexually. And what is that difference, even when we talk about it with some of the young adults here at the church, I'd say the difference is, what are you drawing attention to? And when it becomes specifically about drawing attention to your body, now it's become about something else. Question I encourage even the young women here at our church to ask is, hey, if you were married, do you think your husband would want you to post that 
online? Do you think your husband would want you to wear that out and about in front of other people? And you need to start getting your daughters to think that way. Someday I'm going to be married. I want to save my sexiness for that person and not share it with the world so I can get attention or I can get likes or whatever it might be. Teach that to your daughters. I think this is sixth thing. Prepare for failure. Prepare for failure. That in this world that we live in that's so impure, the odds of your kids being perfect and never once in any way, shape, or form stumbling in some way with regards to sexual sin, probably not likely. And Pastor Mike, in his book, even I think a very helpful phrase he has in responding to when your kids fail in some way is respond with seriousness, not shock. Seriousness, not shock. Let's just take what a common example of thinking about raising sons. You catch your son with something inappropriate sexually or looking at pornography. Well, if you are shocked that a young male would look at pornography, that's your problem right? But does that mean, oh, okay, oh, that's, no, everybody's doing it, it's fine. No, that's not how you want to respond. But your shock isn't going to help. Respond with the proper seriousness. Respond by helping them explain why this is wrong and seek to correct them, seek to move them in the right direction. And even you'll find there's different kinds of failure. You'll see your kids engaged in. There's defiant rebellion, where your kids are lying straight to your face, getting around whatever you do to engage in sin. And then there's, and I would think there'd be a lot of this amongst Christian families, those that are just silently struggling, where you have a young person that's caught up in some kind of sin and they know it's wrong and their conscience is burdened by it, but they don't really know how to talk about it. They don't really know how to bring it up and they're continually stumbling into it. That probably should get a different response from parents. There's a difference between stepping in the mud and getting stuck in it. And even one of the reasons why I feel so burdened to talk about this at Thrive, when trust me, it'd be a lot easier not to, would, is I would hope that we can help our kids not get stuck in the mud. At some point, they're probably going to step in it, but how you respond to that could make a huge difference in their life. And, and even you want to be the person that your kids would look, you, look to to partner in their struggle against this sin. That they would feel comfortable to come to you and say, I'm, I'm struggling. And for those of you, if you have a child that somehow lets on that they are struggling in some way with sexual sin and they are being willing to open up to you, their parent, about that, don't ignore that. Don't just talk to them about it and never follow up. There, there shouldn't be a week that goes by then that you don't follow up, seeking to help your child, especially when you do get a sense that they do want to seek the Lord. They are trying to overcome this. You know, there's a lot of kids at a church that are in that boat. Seventh, almost done here. Encourage marriage. Encourage marriage. Our culture is not set up in the most helpful way to help people through this struggle. A lot of people are physically ready for sexual intimacy by their early teens, yet they're probably not going to be close to financially ready or maturity-wise ready until they're 22, 
or something like that. So you're looking at a decade for a lot of people in which their body is saying, all right, let's go, where marriage is not an option. I don't know about you. I don't know many teenagers that I would be like, yeah, get married. That's a great idea. But here's the thing. The average age for marriage in our culture, 27 for women, 29 for men. I think as Christian parents, we might need to realize our culture's trend and that the age is getting later and later and later. As Christian parents, we need to realize specifically when it comes to purity, that is not a helpful trend for your kids. Even we read in Proverbs chapter five, it talks about the wife of your youth. Psalm 127 talks about the children of your youth. And now you, certainly some parents, some of you, instead of maybe writing down encourage marriage, you, you somehow, I don't know, autocorrect, change it to pressure your kids to get married. No, don't do that. That is not what we're looking for. But you do want to encourage that. That starts by you modeling it, by you praising marriage, by you talking about how great marriage is. And I see some extreme examples helping young adults of people that are wanting to get married, but well, my parents say they really don't think it's a good idea for me to get married before I'm 30 because I should go do all these things and have all these experiences before I get married. Don't say that to your kids. And maybe even some of you will get to a place where you might see your kid in a healthy relationship and they want to get married and you might give your blessing maybe earlier than you thought you would have because you see they're seeking the Lord. They want to do this right. And I want to help them because I care about their purity. Encourage marriage. And last thing as we wrap up tonight, and why don't you turn to Psalm 127 with me as we close up. But as we leave tonight, I want you to parent from faith, not fear. Parent from faith, not fear. When you look out at the world, if you're paying any attention, it can be a very scary place if you just think through all that we've talked about tonight. And we haven't even got into other issues that are becoming so prominent in our culture, like homosexuality or transgenderism, or or we, we didn't even talk about all of that that's adding to all of this that you're raising your kids into. And if we just thought about all of that, it'd be easy for us to get scared, but that's not what God wants us to do. Let's just look at some verses here in Psalm 127 and 128. Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills quiver, fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. You could listen to a sermon like this night and be like, forget it. I'm not having any kids or I'm not having any more kids. This world is too crazy. God still says, hey, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Psalm 128, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. 
So you leave here tonight, I want you to remember God is good, God is gracious, and God is faithful. And that's what you can know going into this crazy world in which he's called you to raise kids. And what he wants you to do, fear the Lord and walk in his ways. And there's no life hack tips to parenting. You all in this room know it's not easy. But it's not about these tricks or, or this in parenting. It's about doing the right thing, being consistent, and doing that for a long time. That's what God wants you to do. Fear the Lord, walk in his ways, do what he's told you in teaching the word to your kids, talking to your kids, and trust God that he will lead them, that he will guide them, and that he will save them, and that he will bless you as you seek to follow him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path because we live in a dark, dark world. But God, I pray for the the parents in this room. God, those that are farther along in that, those that are uh, still in the early stages, God, those that uh, are yet to have kids but want to, or those that are having more kids, God, whatever uh, stage of parenting is represented in this room. And God, I pray that you would fill us all with faith. I pray that we'd have a right sense of responsibility even as we think about this topic, as we think about the the world that we are living in and just uh, the dangers that are so present and so near of sexual immorality in our culture. But God, I pray that you'd give us boldness first to follow you ourselves, to uh, pursue our our spouses like you would want us to selflessly and, and sacrificially and faithfully, God. And that then we would do the right things as we lead our kids And God, I pray even just some of these recommended resources would be helpful uh, to the parents in this room, God, just that as as these kids represented here get into high school and and college and beyond, God, that they would be able to avoid really getting stuck in the mud uh, of sexual immorality, God, and that you would be so kind and so gracious to do that. Uh, God, that's the kind of God that you are. You're the God we, we believe in. So we call out to you for your mercy and your direction tonight. We pray this in your name. Amen.